Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? From a very loud and rainy New York City, my name is Eric Alexandra 13. I am here with Michael Kester. Hello, and welcome to a double feature, Eric. I'm virtually here with Michael Kester. Right. Yeah. Who is in, uh, I don't know, it looks like, you know what's funny is now we record the show far apart that it's always night here and it's always day there. Yes. There's a, it's like a light panel coming in from the side of your window, which is wonderful. Yeah. I wanted people to Daytime. really envision it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, for now, you know, there's always there's always the smoke. You never know when the smoke's coming in. <laughs> right. Well, it's fitting that uh, you are inside a comic book-esque uh, beautiful panel and I am in New York City, as today we are doing Ghost World and Wiener Dog. Wonderful. Why really good about are this. we doing that to anyone? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons, but... Uh, I feel like, honestly, with Ghost World, we've been dodging... We've been, I say dodging, we've been suggesting Ghost World for pretty much every second movie that we talk about doing on Double Feature. We go, how about with Ghost World? And one thing we didn't do was lead with Ghost World when trying to pair it. And I can tell you with 100% certainty why Wiener Dog has taken so long, which is that I'm scared of running out of Todd Salon's movies. Oh, I know. Oh, exactly the same feeling. <laughs> exactly the same. Ghost World we have to do now because I know you have a decades-long overdue VHS of Ghost World from the Chicago Public Library. Right. And you're just, it's <laughs> its come time to just settle some debts in your life and maybe return that. So, yep. uh, CPL, if you're listening, you just uh, watch that mailbox, you know? Yep, for sure. So we're going to spoil these movies, and I think uh, we have to heavy, you know... And spoilers. We have to hit the what happens in the last scene of Ghost World, which we've already seen in another movie, the continuation of that. Mm -hmm. And Wiener Dog, which I'm not even sure which shade of what reality of Todd Salon's continuation of Earth we're in here. But I have to talk. I could spend the whole episode on just the end of Wiener Dog, and maybe we will. <laughs> I really just have to... You know, I think the one service we can do people as a returning the favor for them having seen Wiener Dog, which by the way, see Wiener Dog, see Ghost World. Don't listen to this if you haven't. But the one favor we can return is to just kind of go, all right, what the fuck? End of Wiener Dog. Can we just, mm -hmm. let's just have a uh, like a group therapy on that. I think we'll get to that. As another service, as another thank you, another thing we're thanking you for is donating to the Patreon. If you haven't donated to the Patreon, do that. Watch these movies. Come back and listen. That's how the show gets funded. That's that's how we exhaust our Todd Zalon's back catalog is through your patronage. So if you want to um, further doom our lives by letting us get all the way through Todd Salon's uh, or the Thora Birch filmography, which I think we're dangerously low on as well. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. You might want to double check on that. <laughs> Go to the AFM Thora Birch 
film festival right. uh, every year. Or go to patreon.com forward slash double feature. Oh, thank you. You can do that too. Yeah, it keeps the show alive. And also, you know, Todd Salons, we're going to name check stuff, uh, even if we don't. Here are the old Todd Salons episodes because I think every single one of those movies sort of merits. Uh, there's no more emotional need for a movie than a Todd Salons movie to hear two people just, even if they say nothing of substance, it's just nice to have two other humans. Yeah who watch these. So I don't remember personally how good those shows are. Let's say great. But um, man, after seeing Wiener Dog, if I didn't have this show, I would probably just go listen to one of those episodes just so someone can reassure me everything's all right. Yeah. And uh, those are on the Patreon, along with The Last Black Man in San Francisco, just in case it doesn't get Oh yeah, get, that's right. Little Laura Birch check there. <laughs> yeah, well, a little uh, same character, right? Is it Enid? Right mm-hmm. from Ghost World, I think Enid is the. Yep. Although I don't know if technically they can use the, if they license the character for that moment or what. Little spoiler there. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Spoilers aside, people are gonna come be part of this on the Patreon. We're starting with Ghost World, even though emotionally that is not the chaser you want after the shot. It just seems right to me. I have two spoilers right off the bat on Ghost World. Yeah. Um, one is a meta spoiler. Spoiler alert, I hadn't seen this movie. Oh, and then, wow. Yeah, and then uh, then my biggest spoiler as a personal first-time viewer of Ghost World, Steve Buscemi's in this. Oh, man, this is... Uh, Double spoiler for me. Yeah, this is a real landmark for all of these actors. I think, honestly, the weirdest one, you know, you get a David Cross in there, Patrick Healy, yeah. all sorts of people are showing up yeah. in this. yeah. Which I forget because I haven't seen it in a long time. But I always remember, you know, when I think about Ghost World, I'm like, no one talks about Scarlett Johansson is in this movie. Right, I know. And it's because it's almost like it's not Scarlett Johansson. I think society has sort of like there's like two Scarlett Johansons. Much you know, you know when Paul McCartney didn't wear shoes that one time and suddenly there were two Paul McCartneys? No, but fine. It was like the multiverse of McCartney's, uh-huh. the McCartney multiverse. I feel like something happened with Scarlett Johansson where there was a Scarlett Johansson career that existed pre the Scarlett Johansson we all know and the original Scarlett Johansson died. Yeah, it's very weird. I couldn't help but watch it now. You know, as Black Widow is still out or people are talking about it or whatever and think like, I wonder if she's she doesn't like people talking about this movie. If you met right. Scarlett Johansson at a whatever and you're like, oh man, I just saw Ghost World. I really dug that. Yeah. Would, would she be like, we don't talk about that? Or, right. oh my God, That's you saw I, yeah. that? Or like, where does that For live sure. in her mind? Right. And the reason I bring it up is because, you know, I really want to think about the log line on this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, she is more of a supporting role, let's say. Another surprise for me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the... Um, you know, a lot of the really character stuff, like who gets all the fun props, who gets all the fun outfits, who gets the main storyline, who gets the mm-hmm. weirdest scenes, like it's all Thora Birch's character. So if you'd gone back in time when this came out or when you were first seeing it on your cult VHS that some shady guy loaned to you and somebody told you, oh, one of these actors is going to be like probably the most well-known worldwide American actress uh, of the day mm-hmm. in you know, 20 
Yeah, 20 years. 20-year anniversary of Ghost World, everyone. (laughs) 4K celebration. Happy anniversary. Uh, You would not have thought, you would immediately gone, oh yeah, Thor Birch, I can see it. Right. Because, you know. And so for one of them to be like headlining her own Marvel movie, I don't know, that's crazy. Anyways, not what I wanted to talk about. No. This is a movie that refuses to be put in a box. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes the log line really interesting. So I was hoping that you could redefine what a log line is, and then we could really just pick apart why you would do the log line. Sure. Have a little debate over what we do with this log line. So a log line, I don't have the definition in front of me, unfortunately. We had it at one point. Um, you can go back to the beginning of the year if you really yeah. care that much. But a log line is essentially a, a few. It's a few lines description that introduces the characters and the arc, as well as a teasy little morsel as to why you would be interested in hearing this story play out. A little spice, yeah. The spice is the part we never get to because we're not right. going to do the work's already been done. Nobody needs to write a log yeah. line for. I mean, we'll probably get to that when we do Dune. The spice. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the spice. All right. So let's start with the protagonists. Okay. Who's our protagonist here? We well, talked about a little tricky bit. Well, that's a tricky word. Maybe maybe we'll yeah. talk about. Maybe we'll say main character. <laughs> All right. Who's our main character then? Uh, the main character. Our primary. Our primary actor is Enid, a young, recent high school graduate, about to set out in a world she disagrees with. So I think the only thing that complicates this in any way is if we wanted to go, it's about these two girls who are on the cover. Mm -hmm. But generally, I think so far, so good. This is Enid's story. It could be Enid and Rebecca's story. You know, there's the very iconic cover of Ghost World, which has so much infamy around it, which is the two of them. So I'm Mm -hmm. fine if we go, okay, these two girls or, you know, Enid, however we want to do that. But is there an antagonist in this movie? The antagonist of this film is a young girl, a recent high school graduate named Enid. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> who is about to move on and take on a world she disagrees with. I guess the best way to do this, you don't have an antagonist in every logline. No. You know, at, at its very base, all you really need to give a lazy double feature style logline is. Who's the person or persons? What are they doing? And that's kind mm-hmm. of like, that's the spoiler non-inclusive version. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to be a writer about it, you can twist it up and do all this stuff. But let's just keep it simple. The reason I really want to talk about the log line is because this comes from that era, you know, it's early 2000s. We got a lot of indie movies coming, you know, cult movies, democratization of film, things are getting made a little cheaper. But there is a, I feel like we've hit a boiling point for whatever reason where audiences are just kind of hungry for some weird stuff and movies like this are getting passed around. And Ghost World did what doesn't seem too strange today, maybe it does, but at the time, where it kind of, uh, it kind of fucks around a lot. So I have trouble really nailing what do we think a central conflict is yeah i mean i think i think the the central conflict is a lot easier to 
put your finger on if you treat Enid as both the pro and antagonist. Mm-hmm. Because the conflict is that um, we, especially me, I was going to say we, I uh, talk a lot about coming of age movies. <laughs> um, well, we we but, have a podcast yeah, and every true, other episode is somehow a coming of age movie. Yes. A genre I avoid, by the way. Every, right. uh, only every other show. But the I think the I think the conflict is essentially that that life isn't high school and that which is normal. It, it I mean I get it I, I I identify this with this so much. It's it's sort of the conflict is sort of that by being such a dyed in the wool contrarian, you can't access the normal world and you're essentially othering yourself right and so to the normal with man that's not even the conflict that's like the secret conflict of the you're getting right (laughs) into the meat yeah totally yeah i mean it's basically that it it's it's about it's about realizing you know that contrarianism does not actually you can't the the bigger the world gets right and one of the greatest expansions of an individual's world is graduating from high school. But the bigger the world gets, the smaller you become, especially if you're like fully invested in being the antithesis of the status quo. Yeah, so she's having some of the problems that we see in coming of age movies are discovering your identity, mm-hmm. forging that you know you've got this independence that you craved and now what do you do with it? Or it turns out that there is problems you didn't see, you know, the perils of independence. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a feeling of stumbling around finding yourself. And I think one of the reasons we see the coming of age movies appear again and again is this is pretty universal throughout a person's life. You know, I, I don't know, maybe I experience this more than most people due to my hard resets from city to city or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, you get in a period, I mean, we've all had it with COVID. You get in a period, something fundamental changes about life and there's a new moment of, I need to rediscover who I am or what I'm doing or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. COVID was the least of that for me, but every time I would change a job or move to a city or whatever, mm-hmm. Ghost World would resonate in a new way, probably never as much as when I'm literally experiencing many different things the characters are. Mm-hmm. But we do still, I think a lot of people go, oh yeah, I remember Ghost World. I'm feeling lost in life. I can pop that right in and just kind of be back in that place. So we definitely have, hey, what do I do with myself? But there's also this, um, there could be an inclination to go, Seymour's the antagonist. He's the wrinkle in the, in the whole thing. Or ending high school is the antagonist. And I think... It's really like the ending of high school is going to happen anyways. But if I started to roll this into an actual log line, let's see mm-hmm. if now that we've kind of fucked around with this, if we can sort of do it. A log line for me would go, Enid is going through summer school art class. She has this relationship with her friend when they have not a chance encounter, but sort of a nefarious, I don't know, a mischievous encounter of some kind with Seymour, it opens up all of these questions about her future, 
their friendship, sort of depending on how you wanted to do this. If you did it as two girls, I would go two girls plus new factor, Seymour equals chaos. And not new chaos, but like stuff that was under the surface starts to to come up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. But I, I would argue that Seymour is not really a character in this movie. He's the manic pixie dream Seymour. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, come no, on. No, I would say, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I think that, that Seymour is, um, he's sort of like the hand of the real world, but he doesn't have an identity. Like that's never actually imposed on his character. Ooh, he's I a might person disagree with you about that. I mean, I think, think he, well, he's got a lot of characteristics. If I said who's Seymour, mm-hmm. he's not the kind of blank slate. Like Seymour's a guy, he's a lonely Things are not going right with him. He lives with this roommate. He's got sort of a weird anger problem when he's in the car. He collects records. Like, I could give you a lot of details about Seymour. Sure. He's lived some life. But how do you see Seymour represented against every other adult in this movie? They're all the same. I think what Seymour kind of stands in for is, you know, being lonely, which is something that I think is very, very uh, relatable across the board, whether people are in relationships or not, but especially for a guy who like has a roommate, no girlfriend, complains about it all the time. And as you mentioned, also fits in in that outsider quality. You know, he's the one, I mean, I love that, uh, you know, you see the scene where they're at the sex shop Mm -hmm. and he's just tiptoeing around. Like they're in a fucking China shop, man. Just like put that down. Don't touch that. Oh, shh, quieter. But, Again, I don't I don't think that I don't think Seymour is actually a character. I think Seymour represents this thing that happens when you turn when you graduate high school where you have to start conforming to things like the taboos of sex toys. An 18-year-old dildo's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But a 32-year-old knows you can't play with a dildo in public. Yeah. And I think Oh yeah, that, the reaction shots of the other old people right. around that shop. Yeah. The younger guy maybe behind the counter or something like that, but especially the old people around the shop, they have a different reaction. Their reaction is like Seymour. Right. Oh, I can't believe this. Yeah, I mean I think what that, a faux pas. Exactly. I just think it's I think it's all like really representative, you know, of because one of the things that this movie doesn't do that I think is really interesting is Enid is a certain kind of way. Enid has this very strong identity. Maybe like still searching a little with the punk rock, but Enid is very much Enid in this whole movie. And throughout the course of the movie, the only way that that is challenged is because the real world wants her to not be who she is. Mm. The conflict never comes from her going, should I be this way? The conflict keeps going, the world saying, no, you shouldn't. And she just sits there and is essentially oblivious to that conversation until she's juxtaposed back against Rebecca, who has essentially been in a vacuum since graduating high school. One is becoming an adult too. Right. Rebecca is the one who really is pushing to get the new place to go out and buy. She's more responsible than I am. She's like, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll get all the cups we need first. Mm -hmm. Buy every cup we could possibly need. That way, when we get to the apartment, we won't be thirsty. We'll put the liquid in the cup. We'll have drinks. It'll be fine. Right. When are you getting a job? You know, she is a force that I think part of the schism of growing up and growing apart, another 
theme we see in a lot of these movies is much different here because it's really about one character wanting to do the growing up and you don't even get to the growing apart yet. It's right. one character wants to grow up and the other isn't sure you know, she's ready for that or still has questions and I think a lot of curiosity around where she where she is. I mean, there, there's a great element to these characters, what kind of like motivates them and what pushes them forward. And I think Enid especially has this curiosity that guides so much of the movie. And actually, Rebecca's character does too in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's how they get into this whole caper, this whole responding to this ad, check out this guy. And at first, Rebecca's into it. And we also see Rebecca's kind of like, exploration and weird you know like jokes about we also actually we see her kind of like give the ice cream dude the once over you know Mm -hmm. so she seems to be right in line with Enid and then eventually one thing after another she says oh yeah Seymour bores me right maybe that's a a bit of a jealousy thing I think too but it's also like she's kind of over all of these games and she wants to move on to the next phase but don't you think that she also is boring too? I mean, that's that's the thing that that's the thing that I keep seeing in this movie is like, other than Enid, all of these characters are just extremely boring. While this is still a coming of age movie, to me, it's way more representative of like people essentially acquiescing to normalcy once they once their social pool expands to the point where they would drown otherwise yeah right you know in high school especially for me right like my entire high school was like a thousand people maybe less yeah 700 people my whole high school four years you know freshman to senior and it's really easy to operate on the absolute fringes of contrarianism in a sampling of 800 kids. Mm -hmm. The pool is so small, people have to be around you. There's all of this. But once that expands to, you know, all of Earth, or in my case, all of fucking Chicago, Illinois, you feel this pressure to stop being so weird. Yeah, no, you know? I, I and, totally know what you're talking about. And and I feel like that is, to me, that is so much of what I saw in this movie is this wonderfully weird, probably kind of a little obnoxiously so person. Uh, I mean, the, the viewpoint, the perspective of the movie is actually great too because the first thing that happens is she goes, this guy's fucking weird. And he's like yeah, the most yeah. normal guy. You talk about how he's sad but and we lonely. we see him get more normal when he yeah. gets a relationship. Yeah, You think he's exactly. painfully normal. Oh no, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, but that's the thing too is I think that you're talking mathematics at that point is you have, you have a fundamentally normal guy who's being affected by a fundamentally weird person and then the second his orbit becomes closer to another more normal person the normalcy over you know it's a latent gene dude like everybody's got a latent weird gene but the second you're close enough to normal people it just kind of fades well and i think that's part of what the bus is i mean i'm you know watching it now knowing that there's this cameo of her still on the bus Mm -hmm. in the last black man in san francisco yeah and I love the idea that maybe you stay weird. Maybe you stay on the bus. Mm -hmm. But this is not about the last black man in San Francisco. In fact, it's not even about Ghost World. It's about Wiener Dog. 
Oh my God. A refreshingly recent Todd Salon's movie. I was so happy. We turned on Wiener Dog and the first thing I thought is like, I have to find out why Todd Salon's isn't making movies yeah. anymore and do everything I can. And mm. then I'm like, oh, 2016, that's not that bad. We're, we're right. still in business. We're still okay. This is, you know, one of the first times in recent double feature history. I'm sure I said it last time this happened. So, you know, go back to every show and see if I say this. Mm-hmm. But... I was like watching this movie just like so bummed that I wasn't sitting next to you to share the chuckles that this movie oh, yeah. because so oh, yeah. just to just to put this in perspective anybody who's not watched Todd Salon's movies and I think that's a big group and here's why I think that but anybody who's not watched Todd Salon's movies probably doesn't get what this movie is doing Flat out. If you haven't seen entry level Welcome to the Dollhouse, maybe Happiness as well, this movie is going to read like it is completely missing its mark. Quick shout out to the agent of chaos operating inside uh, the mega hive that is purchasing these movies for Amazon <laughs> because, like this and fucking Suspiria, and we saw the right. Sound of Metal. I mean, that this exists is crazy. With as with every Todd Salons, and then that somebody at Amazon was like, "We need to buy this." That's also nuts. Well, and and the thing that's really great that it just so, proves so my to point. your point. Somebody gets it. Yeah, there's at least a third person. But I'll tell you who doesn't get it is anybody who's reviewed it on fucking Amazon. Oh yeah, I because know. this shit has like two point one stars, and it's like approaching one of the greatest comedies ever made. Why? Well, so, I have a theory about that. Yeah, please. I think the movie's called Wiener Dog. It's got the dog on the cover. The first thing you see on Amazon when you click it is a still of the little dog in the cage. I feel sympathy for the dog. The movie is brutal and cruel to the dog. That is mm-hmm. my overall. And people mm-hmm. can mask it with whatever they want. But I think the people who complain about this movie are just like, I thought I was getting cute doggo. Right. And I got Todd Salons, which by the way, couldn't be more further. For, that's like the last guy you want to talk to about cute doggo. That's not... Uh, right. Yeah, so I don't know. I get a reassuring feeling from these films. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're, I, they're brutal and they have this... I mean, we got melodramatic stories about dog aids and squirrel rape and stillborn puppies and the sincerity it's presented with is just amazing. And it's all in one scene, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like a, a couple sentences of the movie. I think I feel reassured by these movies because I feel like, you know, like, okay, I'm not the only person who speaks this language. Like there's someone else out there. I hear the voice and it's like being... Mm-hmm you know, the only English speaker in a foreign country or something. You're just like, what? who is that? Who over there is like, mm-hmm. you know, it's the it's the same stuff we, um, we love John Waters for. We love a, a lot of the taboo filmmakers that we always lump in, but it's this like low subject, high treatment right. approach. Well, and, and I think that, I think that unlike, unlike John Waters, John Waters is a little bit easier to get on board with because there are invariable winks that let the audience know that, oh, he knows this is a little bit trashy. This is a little trashy on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because you see it in the John right. Waters. You see them having fun, and you see right. the. Tr- it, it is authentically this, the same sort of like, I feel like Todd Salon's 
purposefully over-intellectualizes trash or uses it to a more intellectual end. Yeah. And because of that, I don't know, there is something very daunting to people, I think, about being... I really... I don't just mean it's a movie about low subject. I really mean it's high treatment, too. Mm -hmm. Like, the kind of finessed dolly shots over you know, diarrhea for a minute and a half to classical music, mm -hmm. the sort of precision, right. care, attention to detail, mm -hmm. and the sincerity of the acting too is a big part of it. The like, we're taking this deathly fucking serious and then the subject matter. I mean, yeah, it's, but... Audiences don't know what to do with that. Exactly. All of it comes together and there's no point in time where the movie, it's, you know, the movie never goes, we're just joking. Just keep that in mind. Right. It doesn't right. have, it doesn't have that one moment to let you know that's what it's doing. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that this is such a great pair is because this movie is a, is essentially pointing the camera at the hyper normal existence of American society and just being like literally nothing of much import or consequence is going to happen. These are all things that just happen. Maybe just like a lot of them all at once. But there's really nothing, you know, the 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 suspension of disbelief is essentially like can two people with down syndrome live alone? Like yeah, that's yeah. like as far as your suspension of disbelief that is, you know, is What's his name? Turbo? Is he a real artist? Like those are your Turbo. <laughs> well, it can be his name. That's fine. Uh, these these are like these are the only pieces of suspension of disbelief. And my suspension of disbelief is: was there anyone to go to the lobby during the intermission, or did no one right. actually see this in a theater? I saw it in a theater. Oh, thank you. Did you go to the lobby? No, you can't I go to the not. lobby during this intermission. Are yeah, you crazy? Are you kidding me? It's no amazing. way. See what happens. <laughs> so amazing. It's a yeah. you know, it's a short film all mm -hmm. in and of itself. Well, yeah. okay, we're getting pretty far. We should log line this I and mean, then I'll continue sure. gushing over Todd Salon's movies. Uh Wiener Dog is the story of this Wiener Dog named Wiener Dog. Uh and it's Among other names. Yeah. Its name is Wiener Dog. Dookie and cancer, and I'm too busy with my screenplay to name my dog bomb. I believe it's duty. Oh, what um, did I say? To Dookie. Right. <laughs> That's if Green Day on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the story of this wiener dog. Uh, who goes I could by have many done names. a better joke for that, right? I could have been like, "That's when it was in a four-piece right pop punk band or whatever the fuck." Okay. I don't know. Are there even four people? There are now, but not when Dookie came out. I don't know enough about Green Day is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You Damn. Gotta, you got to get back to the Bay Area, man. <laughs> it's the story of a, of a dachshund who goes by, among other names, Wiener Dog. And uh, <laughs> it's multiple miserable owners and how they have the varying ways in which they have chosen to demonstratively disrespect the existence of the dog oh my god um, all right in basically every aspect that you can think of uh the dog gets um maltreated yeah so we're using it to illustrate all of these these different we're doing vignettes about humanity we're doing um uh fuck what's the name of that uh movie with the donkey 
Right. We're kind of doing that. Balthazar, is that the name of that? Maybe. Fuck, I'm like the least, I don't know anything about film. So <laughs> do yourself a favor and look up black and white French movie about donkey and that all. It should be good. But yeah, it's like, it's some of the, the, um, the real soul bearing hardships of life as told through various owners at various times of this dog. And, you know, I think thematically it talks about really heavy stuff. I mean, there's, there's almost a case to be made that's really fucking out there that Todd Salons isn't having as much of a laugh as we kind of like explain him as having. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't throwaway, right? Like he's also talking about some some fucking heavy, awful mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, there's sort of these layers in my mind of how it's it's like silly movie about a dog, then you're watching it, and you're like, absolutely not silly movie about a dog. <laughs> and then you're like, isn't it funny how some people don't know that and are seeing this and like how mean this movie is being. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, oh, wait, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, like, right. well, I don't know. What, what do you think thematically, like death is obviously invoked a lot. What are you seeing a lot of in this movie? That's probably more useful than our I log mean, line. No, I mean, I think, I think essentially what the whole movie is about is like, how much are you going to struggle before you die? Especially in, through the context of the, the titular character. Mm-hmm. This dog's life is defined not by its happy moments, but by its absolute low points. Its happiest moments are in the intermission where we see it without an owner. Right. And even then, you know, we're doing the thing humans always do with animals, which is we project feelings onto them. Sure, but I mean, I'm not even trying to project the dog's... I'm not even trying to project feelings. I'm talking about whether the dog is poisoned, whether a bomb is strapped to it. Like, these are objectively (laughs) bad moments in the dog's life. In fact, if anything, the dog probably doesn't realize how bad of a time it's having when there are bombs strapped to it. Did you catch the Humane Association thing at the end? I didn't. At the end, it's basically a thing that says... The American Humane Association says sometimes the dog was not hurt during this film. <laughs> it was like, we supervised some scenes, and in those scenes, everything was fine. And I'm like, hmm, that's an odd, mm-hmm. really odd warning. But it's probably because they didn't pay that fucking racket to show up and watch the movie the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's also like a sterilization thing going on here, especially in the beginning. I don't know, you have any thoughts around that? All of the like neutering conversation and then you know this couple's married and the tubes are tied they can't have kids yeah like i'm seeing this thing come up over and over i i don't know what thematically it really means but it's hard to say because you do have characters anytime anytime characters have children in this movie they don't like them yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it when you were talking about, you know, everything you're going to go through up until death. Like, how much are you going to uh, endure as a wiener dog before your untimely demise? There's spoilers in this. Brutal, brutal spoilers. But then I also thought it's about legacy too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you're going to do all this stuff, and it's not, especially when we start talking about art. There's a, a secondary theme today of like lampooning art and sort of what is mm-hmm. just conversations about art. We don't need to get hyper specific or anything, but 
I think there's some thread to talking about the art nihilistically in this as well. It can't get made or the art is bullshit. The art itself might be terrible. Danny DeVito's character is teaching and his his career isn't flourishing in the movie industry. And then you hear his students talk about him and it's even worse there. And then uh, in the final scene, the woman is, is or, or you know, the, the last big scene, the woman is talking about, she's talking to all these other various versions of herself, instances of herself, you know, dawns that did not commit suicide, like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Right. right, in the dawn multiverse. Yeah, or, you know, a dawn that tipped really well. Well, this isn't dawn. I don't want to confuse the point, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, just down to every, every little shade. And her sort of uh, relationship to this other artist that's in her home and like, what does it all matter, you know, in the end? And I think part of the sterilization is also that absence of legacy that nobody, if people aren't procreating, then, okay, so maybe as an artist, you hope your art piece lasts and that people keep talking about it. But even just as a normal human who is just doing the work to survive and living their life, hoping that they will carry out their own last name at the very least, that they'll have a kid who thinks about them. You know, we see in this this last chapter as well, the girl doesn't come by to really see her anymore. And... So I don't know, I thought maybe just kind of jumping off some of what you said that maybe it's a note about just the total death of your own lineage and legacy and, sure. and however you want to address that. All right, let's talk about this fucking ending. Yeah, well, that that's perfect. That's I have a perfect segue to that, which is that this dog, you know, in, is in all of these people's lives. And even you showed your hand early on in this conversation about how the thing you remember most is that that motherfucker got run over by multiple cars, and that's oh. its legacy. It's a, it's a it's a flat dog. So it's a brutal ending. It's very cruel, but it's also pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the moment for me where, like, even I, I was laughing at the audience watching the movie the whole way, mm-hmm. and man, the dog gets crushed. And I'm usually a person who can take that in stride. You you know, if you've heard other episodes of this show, that I'm not one of these, like, let me know if the dog gets hurt, I'm offended kind of people. But because this poor fucking dog is just, I mean, really abused through the whole movie, he's nothing but suffering. And then it all sort of ends on a, a random happenstance. The internal feeling I had is really what I want to unpack here. I felt like, man, total buzzkill. It's Todd Salons. Todd does what he wants. I want Todd to do exactly what he's going to do because he made the masterful art piece. But I walked away from it and thought, oh my God, how am I ever going to, to hype myself up to watch this film again, <laughs> knowing that it's just so punishing at the end? And I really just wanted to kind of um, talk about like, what does this ending mean? And what, um, so we see, we see the dog get quadruple smushed, really brutal, super nasty to look at. Did you count? It's quadruple. Oh my God. I don't know. It's too many times. <laughs> it's, you know, one time is, is like, Ooh, that is the most brutal thing. And then we're just rubbing the audience's nose in it and then sort of resurrected in this art piece. 
I mean, let's just deal with the death first. I guess what I'm trying to address is like, what is the necessity of it? Not for you to read Todd Salon's mind here, but like, what does this death mean in the context of everything else that's going on in the film? I mean, I think it means I think it means nothing. I think that's what I'm saying. I guess that the death doesn't necessarily. You're all in on nihilism on this movie. Well, sort of. I just mean, you know, it's one character literally doesn't even give the dog a name. He's that self-absorbed. But none of these people are like self-absorbed in like a vapid plastic way. They're all self-absorbed in their own suffering. And it's just sort of like this dog is, it's like a watered down version. I mean, yeah, I guess it's a little bit of nihilism, but you know, it's also like you're saying, it's a little bit of legacy. Like the dog is like, that's, it's a, it's a stuffed it's a cute thing, and it's in the museum at the very end of the film. But but, gallery, but here's the thing: please. whatever gallery, it's in the gallery. It's in Turbo's gallery, and it, <laughs> <laughs> so already the legacy's lost because you can't even get the name of the fucking artist right. But so that's, this but, piece did not live in your heart. This gallery but, piece. But not only that, like it, the dog doesn't have a name in the gallery. The dog has been co-opted by the guy who stuffed it. What do you think Todd thinks about this guy's art? Are we meant to think that this is like prolific or interesting in any way? Or are we just meant to go, this fucking guy doesn't know what he's doing? I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, you saw it at the end. What do you think? You think that's great art? Well, no, I don't. But I'm trying to, I mean, I feel like, just look at this guy. I feel like he's a joke. Sure. I think he's more visibly a joke than anybody else in the movie. He also plays the role like the actor knows the character is a joke. You know, mm -hmm. he's very like at a 10. And so I think we're meant to go, this is a shitty artist. Right. But I ask because the dog that is the one fucking character we invest in through the entire piece, I sound like this movie is in a fucking gallery now, whatever. It should be in a gallery through the whole movie. His final resting place is in this gallery, and I'm trying to figure out if we should think, oh, cool, he lives on in a special way. No. Or if we go, cool, his whole life amounted to being some terrible art piece that yeah. people will forget about. Which, in a, in a way, is sort of meta. And I wonder about that because, you know, it's no secret with... I mean, we opened talking about Todd Salons, and I still have one of his movies... Uh, saved for a rainy day. Ooh. But I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life during wartime, mm -hmm. which we have not done on no. the show yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, I love Todd Salon's movies. And I don't mean like Happiness, Welcome to the Dollhouse. I mean, I love every fucking one of these movies. Right. I find them so interesting and they speak a language other people don't speak and they take a hard road and I just feel like they contribute to conversation. And so, you know, I've got one tucked away, but I'm thinking a lot about Todd Salons. I'm thinking, you know, the guy's in his 60s. He's making movies about fucking mortality and about art. And when filmmakers start talking a lot at the end of their career about filmmaking and doing, you know, eight and a half stuff, mm -hmm. which we actually see in the other movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that somebody, that Clark confuses it with nine and a half weeks, which I just yeah. think is the funniest. <laughs> As a person who uses search engines and tries to do a movie show. Yep. I love that. 
So yeah, I don't think it's a fucking stretch to suggest he's thinking about what will his art mean? Will people even care? Mm -hmm. Todd strikes me as a guy who is just mortally depressed all the time, which is probably another reason that I'm really interested in him. And I see all of that in this ending. Maybe that speaks to the necessity and his fate, and maybe it does not. We have a website. I just want to get the fuck out of here. I want to thank <laughs> Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon for feeding us the Todd Salons and letting us do Ghost World. Doublefeature.fm, patreon.com forward slash doublefeature. What are we doing next time? Uh, next time we have two lighthearted movies that we're going to have to do our damnedest to make as depressing as possible just to keep in line with our motif. Um, so we're going to do, we're revisiting... Uh, Studio Ghibli for the first time since last year's journey. We're going to do Kiki's Delivery Service. And then we're revisiting Eli Roth in a place we've never seen him before. Even Eli Roth will be happy on the show. Which is a PG movie. So we're going to do House with a Clock in Its Walls. Next time on Double Feature, bring your kids. uh, I don't know. Have a good time. Watch more fucking film. Bye.